going to talk about insulin pens, the benefits of pens, and potential pen pitfalls. Why is this so important? Insulin pen therapy has psychological advantages over pulling up insulin in a syringe from a vial in all age groups. These pens, which are shaped like fat ballpoint pens, are easier to carry around and easier to show in public. The reason we're doing a whole podcast on insulin pens is that unless patients use the tools correctly to give themselves insulin, they may not be getting good control, not because they're not giving their insulin, but because they're not using the pens correctly. But aren't pens more expensive? That's a question I get a lot. Not really. Insulin is priced by the unit. So a five pack of insulin pens has 1,500 units or 15 milliliters in each five pack and each insulin vial contains a thousand units or 10 milliliters. So yes, a five pack of pens costs 1.5 times more than a vial of insulin, but you're getting 1.5 times more insulin. If you're using less than a thousand units of insulin per month, the patient can actually save money because they can stretch it out longer than three months. All designer insulin is expensive. If you are looking for the least expensive insulin, Rely on brand from Walmart comes in vials only, and it's regular NPH and 7030 insulin only. I have with me today the Emeritus Director of Duke's Adult Diabetes Education Program, Jan Nicolarat, who is a fabulous teacher. She's the Vice Chair of the North Carolina Diabetes Advisory Council, which is a statewide advisory council on issues affecting diabetes, diabetes care, and patients with diabetes in North Carolina. She's an adult clinical nurse specialist and a certified diabetes educator. Jan, what can you tell us about PENS? I just want to say that insulin pen use is a great tool and probably has been one of the single most novel developments in diabetes, which has enhanced patients taking their insulin. So that's a very good thing. Everything I'm going to say, this is based on evidence-based research. This isn't just experiential. In 2010, in diabetes metabolism, they're actually published as an international study on new injection recommendations for patients with diabetes. And these have been reviewed about every two years, and the most recent review was in May of 2016. It was published in the Diabetes Educator, and both both of these you, I believe, can get through the Duke Medical Library online if anybody wants to read them. I just want to make that statement. This is evidence-based research. So the reason that I want to speak about PINs is there's some issues in correct use of PINs, and that will ultimately impact glycemic control. So I think the more message we can get out there to the patient, the better we're going to see the control. So to me, the issues in pins that I see, first is needle length. Really, the evidence shows you really shouldn't be using anything longer than a four to five millimeter pin needle, and that's in children, adolescents, and adults. And it doesn't matter if they're obese, it, it really is irrelevant. So that's a, something to consider. And the second thing is lipohypertrophy is probably the biggest issue in injection. And as a clinician, all of you know that injecting in the same side all the time, so I used to say, where are you injecting? And they'd go either side of their umbilicus, but they were doing breakfast, lunch, supper, bedtime, in exactly the same spots. And the skin gets dry and leathery and rubbery, and it, it makes like a fat depot. And you can see it kind of from the side. It looks like a Himalayan mountain peak. You may not probably see it from the front unless it's extreme. 
But what we know is that lipohypertrophied areas reduce absorption of insulin up to 25% and can impact postprandial glucoses between 17 to 58% on the negative side, meaning the postprandial sugars are higher. That's a really big issue in terms of maintaining stability. It also causes the insulin to be, have greater variability, which can lead to more hypo or hyperglycemia and less stability. The second major cause of lipohypertrophy is patients who use the same pin needle over and over again. And I personally had a lot of patients who did this. They thought they were saving a lot of money. That's really a fallacy. But every time they use an insulin pin, they should remove that needle at the completion of the whole cycle and a new pin needle should be used each time. Yeah, and Jan, I I have to recommend that if people want to see what it looks like, even if you're just reusing a a pin needle twice or three times or four times, there are images on Google Images. You can just Google insulin pin needle used multiple times. It will come up, and it's a dramatic photograph of what you're injecting. And instead of a nice little sharp edge, it's curled, and it's nothing that you would want to put in into your body. Amen. <laughs> it actually looks like a barb. Yes, you know? it does. I mean, it has a barb kind of context. It. They lose lubrication. They're all lubricated, so the more you use them, that makes the injection more painful. And I've had, I'm sure all of us have had patients who said, I don't want to inject, it hurts too much. So all of these things are really important. What are some ways that we can prevent lipohypertrophy? We've discussed not to reuse needles and to rotate sites, but what else can we advise patients? Well, I think there's a couple of key points, takeaway messages. One, I would say anytime you you put a patient on an insulin pin, that, that requires diabetes education, and it probably requires diabetes education from a certified diabetes educator because they can review all of the aspects of injection techniques and hypo and hyperglycemia and storage, et cetera, and they have the time, more time to do that than in an office visit. The second thing is we want to be sure that we give them a picture, like a rotation of sites, and they're readily available on the web from the American Association of Diabetes Educators. We can find those pictures on the web and print them off so that they understand what that really means. I think a picture is worth a thousand words. And then as a healthcare provider, I think it's really important every time we see these patients, we need to examine those injection sites because that's really the only way you're going to see the lipohypertrophy. And especially for patients who've been on insulin for a very long time, when Uh beef pork insulin was still on the market, those folks are, are going to have lipohypertrophy more than likely, and they need to avoid those sites. And sometimes you can't tell if it's there if someone is just sitting in a chair. Your remark about having a patient see a diabetes educator and also a nutritionist is so important. There's so much to know about diabetes, and we want to set patients up for success. There's absolutely no way I, as a provider, can review everything there is to know about insulin injection, using pens, and a 20-minute office visit. And that is why we have diabetes educators and classes that teach patients the basics. I agree. 
And, you know, the other thing I would say, and Susan, I think you've experienced this, I think most healthcare providers have, if you have a patient who's been injecting in a lipohypertrophied area, well, their blood sugars continue to rise, and we usually continue to increase their insulin dose. When we move them to a different side, if we identify that is the issue, it may be that that insulin dose needs to be cut back by 20% initially, or just to see, because there's a very good likelihood that if you move out of the lipohypertrophied area, the absorption is going to be so much better, they're going to be hypoglycemic on them. Yes. Um, on the old dose. Right. And that's one thing that we want to make sure when insulin's prescribed, that you think about a weight-based dose. And once the dose goes above that upper limit, and for type 2 diabetes, that's one unit per kilo, if you're going above that, you've got to either start talking about, is there an adherence problem? Is there a injection technique problem? What's going on that a typical dose of insulin is not working for this patient? And, and that's why lipohypertrophy is one of those answers. The other thing I would say is, you know, typically back to my example of the patient I had who was doing about one inch on either side of the umbilicus for their injections because it was convenient you know, something readily accessible during the day. We need to make those zones broader so people will move out beyond centric. And that's why I think the pictures make a big difference. Yeah. The other thing I would say, and this was just kind of old school, so I'm dating myself. There was a time when it was acceptable to inject through clothing. And many of my patients were still doing that. And then there was a time where that was not acceptable and then it kind of came back that there was really no data to make a difference one way or the other. And now we're back to it's not acceptable. And there is data that says the needle becomes unsterile and can cause infection when you inject through closing, which has always made sense to me. The lubrication on that needle is lost and therefore it's more painful. And then clothing fibers can enter and irritate the skin. Injection through clothing also prevents the patient you know, when you do a pin injection, you want them to make a skin fold so they can put that in at 90 degrees, particularly in our thinner, more lean individuals. And you can't see that if you're doing it through clothing. You can't visualize at all. So it's really important that we teach patients again what we used to teach them a long time ago. We do not inject through clothing. Right. Other thing that I think is really important, you brought this up, the importance of diabetes and nutrition education. There was a physician statement that was published in 2016 from the American Association of Diabetes Educators, the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and the American Diabetes Association. And there are four critical times where patients need to be referred. One is always at diagnosis, which is clear to everybody. Second is yearly for a review, and that is covered by Medicare and most payers. The third time is any time there's a change in the medical treatment plan, a dose change, a delivery change, a medication change, and the fourth time would be with any diabetes complication, which includes stress. And as you know, and most of my healthcare provider friends know, our patients have lots of stressors in their lives and makes this particularly challenging to manage diabetes. Really, there's never a poor time to refer patients for diabetes education, and there's a variety of excellent resources in the Triangle community. Yes. Um, 
both for patients underserved as well as patients who have insurance. So it, that finding a person is not really the issue, finding a resource for your patient. It's more really stressing that point. And it's been shown that the provider's recommendation and following through with that and actually completing the referral is probably the most important in getting the patient to follow through. That's right. You need provider buy-in that this is incredibly important and that really it's a team effort for diabetes care and success with diabetes control. Right. And the other issues with PINs are storage. Insulin is expensive, and I certainly agree. We all agree with that. Once you open one, it's not good for longer than 30 days. It doesn't have to be refrigerated on the pin that they're using, but the other four that came in the box should be refrigerated until they open them. And those four that are refrigerated are good until the expiration date on the box. If you have a mixed pin that has mixed insulins in it, such as 70 to 525 or any of those, those may be actually not stable for a full 30 days. So you really have to read the package label to know. Okay. Um, being expired insulin is not really beneficial to the patient and ends up costing more money long term. So the insulin pen that you're using should be stored at room temperature and then each time it needs to be thrown out after one month and keeping it in the refrigerator, even if you're using it, does not prolong the half life. No, it doesn't prolong. And there are studies that show the potency of the insulin goes down with time and that it's, it's around 28 to 32 days. Patients are not on a lot of insulin and they don't know this. That can be a cause of bad control because they're using their insulin vial for eight weeks and it should be thrown out. In the end, while it seems like an intuitive thought to patients, I'm going to save money, I'm going to like hold on to it, it really does not because in the end the control deteriorates and they end up then with complications or other sequelae that really cost more money to them and interrupt their lifestyle or have adverse impact on their diabetes. Now, one of the things you just taught me this two years ago, I did not realize. I knew that mixed insulin needed to be rolled when it was in a vial. I I guess I forgot that the same applies to a pen. You're suggesting a pen with mixed insulin, 70-30, 75-20, 50-50, must be rolled between the palms for 20 cycles to mix the solution or else you, you don't know what you're getting. Right. Because the, I think it's the NPH settles to the bottom. Right. Uh, the other thing I'll say about insulin pins that's so important in the teaching, not just to change the pin needle, the patients put the pin on, they dial in the dose, and then they inject, but they've never primed the pin needle. So the pin needle has at least two mils, maybe three sometimes of dead space. If they're supposed to take 20 units of insulin and they don't prime that pin, they're really getting 18, 17 to 18. And they need to prime that dead space every time. So we always say dial in two units. Make sure you see the drop of insulin come out the end. Then go back and dial in the dose. And the other issue I've observed over the years, and perhaps you have too, is injecting the insulin. Most patients will just go ahead once it's dialed in, and they'll push down on the plunger and it goes in, and that's fine. They really need to hold it and count for a minimum of 10 seconds and 20 seconds if it's a larger volume, just to prevent leaking out when they remove it. But I have had patients, instead of pushing in, they wanted to dial that dose dial. 
and that's dangerous <laughs> for obvious reasons. So that again goes back to the point of why it's so important to see the diabetes educator when you learn. Right, and and really have someone go over the injection technique and watch the patient. Watch. Right. Right. Watch what they're doing. You know, one, I had a patient who was keeping the pin needle on, which we don't recommend. First of all, you shouldn't need to keep it on because it should be being thrown out because you're not using it more than once. But he was keeping it on his insulin pin. He flew in an airplane and it introduced air Uh and he did not realize he was supposed to prime the pin. So he'd get off the plane, use his insulin, inject air, and quote, his insulin wouldn't work because he wasn't actually giving insulin. And he called me up after this had happened three times and said, I want you to know that airplanes ruin insulin pens. And it, he, he brought them in. He brought in all three insulin pens and they each had a really large air bubble. It's really important to teach people patients how to do this because mistakes happen all the time and this particular patient is a PhD so everyone needs to be taught priming don't reuse insulin pens and don't keep the pen needles on the pen to store it right pen needle that remains on a pen and the patient's carrying it around in their pocket will allow air to come into that syringe the same as in an airplane the difference is in an airplane because it's pr- the pressure changes, etc. More air probably is coming in, right? But it's the same principle. Those were the main areas that I used to observe that were probably the most detrimental in terms of successful injection and probably the greatest barriers to patients. If we can just kind of address those, I think that's great. Yeah, uh, we also had a patient who was not removing her pen needle cap. She was putting the insulin pen needle on, but it comes with a cap. She was not removing the cap. Mistakes happen all the time. Again, another reason why it's important to have someone watch the patient do their normal injection and see if there's anything wrong. And I seem to recall a patient that we shared that had been on pins for three or four years and had never rotated injection sites mm-hmm. ever, mm-hmm. had had significant lipohypertrophy and never changed a pin needle in right. their life. To recap all of this, so needle length four to five millimeters does not need to be longer. Avoid right. lipohypertrophy by not reusing pen needles, by rotating sites. Providers should look for lipohypertrophy and advise their patients to avoid those sites and to watch someone give their injection in order to determine if there are any pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else that you can think of, Jan? Those are the main points. I would again reiterate how important it is to refer, and I know in the triangle area, particularly in the Durham area, we have strong diabetes education programs at Duke. Nancy Lowy Michelle would be the, the contact person in the Duke primary care system. I believe they're, they're having diabetes education available at most primary care sites. And um, Jennifer Stallings would be the director and they have resources for patients. I also know that the Durham County Health Department, they have programs, they take insurance, they can get nutrition, they have a diabetes education class. We have great resources and the same is true in Raleigh and Chapel Hills. We're lucky that we live in an area where there are a lot of resources available. It's just mobilizing our patients. Absolutely. 
Well, Jam, what do you have planned for the rest of the summer? There's a lot going on at the Diabetes Advisory Council. I'm sure I'll see you at some point in time. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today. We thanks really for asking me. It was an, a wonderful experience, and I hope this was useful. I'm sure it will be. Thank you. Thank you.